Hey guys, on today's pod, I brought on Jeff Garcia of Lockdown Spurs. He provided us with a different perspective, what Spurs fans are feeling from the trade. Give us a little bit of background about Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, and a couple other things. He's been covering the Spurs for a while now, and I really think it's one of the best guys out there. If you're ever interested and want to listen to his pod, it's checked out Locked On Spurs. It's really great. I don't think you'll find a better Spurs podcast out there, which makes sense because I think Jeff's one of the best guys covering the Spurs today. And I think it showed because we had a really great talk. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, let's do it. Awesome. So, I guess, what's your biggest takeaway? Well, my biggest takeaway is um, outside of X's and O's, I'm just glad this is over. This was a situation where the Spurs simply had to get out of sooner than later. The last thing they needed to do was head into training camp, preseason, with a disgruntled player in the locker room, or even if you were to even attempt to go into the locker room, or on the court as the team is trying to mesh. Uh, it was a bad seed. It was a bad apple that was forming the bunch. So I know a lot of people go back and forth. Toronto on the trade. The Spurs were on the trade. Uh, you know, and I say this without my Spurs glasses on. I think the Spurs won the trade in total. Um, you know, from the, from the court, they got a guy, DeMar DeRozan, that they desperately needed, uh, basically offensive punch. Last year, the Spurs' biggest Achilles heels was the offensive end. Their defense was kept them uh, into games, kept them into the postseason. Uh, they were one of the top-ranked defenses, yeah, even without two-time defensive player of the year, Kawhi Leonard. But on the offensive end, it was just LaMarcus Aldridge or Buss, really. So the, those X's and O's, they got uh, checked off the checklist. But off the court, I think that's really, really was more important. Uh, the Spurs got a taste of what it is to be uh, NBA team with drama. They haven't had this in 20 years. Antonio Daniels, former Spurs guard, summed it up best. This is the Tim Duncan effect. You go from what Tim Duncan was to what he is left behind the void that can never be replaced. And the Spurs were looking at Kawhi to be that, that filler, to be that void filler, uh, from Tim Duncan moving forward. And he just wasn't that. Um, and I say this not because he got traded or the drama that was created with him and reported his camp and uncle. I really, since day one, I've always had doubts whether he alone can be that type of player to guide the Spurs or any NBA team to the promised land. Uh, a LeBron James, um, you know, Kobe Bryant, a Tim Duncan, can he rise to that level? I still don't know with a guy whose career averages are about 16 points per game. Uh, but nevertheless, I think Toronto, obviously, uh, player-wise, they got the best, the best uh, part of the deal. Uh, I, I, but is it just me, or does it feel like Toronto fans still don't know what type of player they landed right now? I think they're still grieving uh, from the loss of DeMar DeRozan. That's what it feels like to me. I think there's kind of two distinct groups here. There's the group that 
you know, I would say the more casual fan that's just upset DeMar's gone and kind of what he meant to the city and what he meant to the franchise as a whole, he was the first Raptor to want to be here, which I don't think can be understated right. in the fact that, you know, Vince left, Bosch left, DeMar was the one who stayed, and he's the one that proved loyal over again. And, and that's great, but at the other end, I think there's another group that kind of was – sick of the stagnant group uh, Raptors that have been over the past couple of years. You know, Toronto, obviously, it's a well joke that their postseason struggles, and I think that something had to change. You know, you can't just keep running back the same team and expecting different results. Something had to change if you really wanted to see this team prosper. Yeah, and uh, Matthew Jerry really changed things up. I... You know, if a little change going to happen in Toronto, I would expect something like OG or, or Lowry. But for him to go all out and go with a franchise player, the guy who was Mr. Toronto, I thought that was very risky because you're, you're, you're more well-versed in this area than I am. But if this experiment or this risk fails, I mean, do you think his job could be on the line? I'm not sure. I think I would say no. I think... It was risky mm-hmm. in a way because you did offer up the best player, perhaps the best player in franchise history. I would argue Vince Carter, but you're splitting hairs either way. At the same time, at 2020, this team totally resets. So it's not like you're kind of banishing your team to cap hell or anything like that where you're setting yourself up with a bunch of bad contracts. I think the way Masai looked at this was – you know, I'm going to give this another run here with the last couple of years of Lowry and Ibaka because those deals are going to be hard to trade anyways. And then if it doesn't work right. out, then kind of reset with the young guys. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think, the, the obviously, you, you, you know this as well, and your listeners know this too, the, the risk is more on Toronto than it is on San Antonio because of the fact that you got a guy, Kawhi Leonard, who, you know, has a degenerative, uh, disease reportedly on his spot. So, you know, that would suck for Toronto if late next season y'all are making a great push to keep Boston to Philly away and then boom, that quad flares up again. Uh, and you have to be out for a while. You know, obviously there's the uh, off the court issues. I don't know how well his camp, his uncle's going to be received. I know Kawhi, his uncle, and his camp are public enemy number one. Jaja Pachutia loves that right now because he was the public enemy number one no longer. That now goes to Kawhi Leonard and his camp. So there's that. And then there's also, too, you know, he's going to need to get back in game shape. He's been practically out for over a year now playing ball. And, uh, you know, can he get up to speed quickly? I saw a photo of him uh, with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Toronto Brass. And from my point of view, covering him for since he was a rookie and being there the moment he was traded from the Pacers to the Spurs in Brooklyn, he, he you know he put on some size. He got a little heavier, uh, so hopefully he get back in game shape. And but you know, look, is he a top five player? Yeah, um, I wouldn't put him up there top two or three. I put him top five, maybe eight. Uh, but this is a guy that. Raptors fans are going to love on the court. On the court, he is phenomenal. On the court, he is going to be everything that the Raptors are going to. Raptor fans are going to hope to see what he did in San Antonio. 
off the court is going to be an issue. I'm going to warn you now, if you leave it to interview him, prepare yourself. It's not going to be easy. Um, you can ask the most open-ended question, and you're going to get a one- or two-word answer. I mean, that infuriating. When the great David Robinson admits that he's tried repeatedly to talk to Kawhi and says, I can't get anywhere with him, that should tell you a lot. Well, a couple things you talked or mentioned. First is the risk. I think to an extent you're right that the risk is on Toronto, but to another extent, you know, you're risking a team that's a second-round playoff exit. I think that it's pretty clear that this team capped out at being short of an NBA Finals team. So while you are risking your best player, I think you're you're also risking you know a playoff team, but nothing more. And this gives them a real shot, a gamble to go to the conference finals or realistically the NBA Finals. To your point on off the court, well, first off, to your point on him not playing in a year, I think that's a good point. People kind of gloss over this and. It's almost like, well, if he's right, he's the top five player in the right. league. We yeah. don't know if he's going to be right. He hasn't played in a year, and I don't think it's fair to assume that he's going to be healthy from day one and that he's going to be his old self from day one. Let's not also forget the last season he played fully healthy was the best season of his career. So it's not mm-hmm. we're not sure that he's going to play that great, or he might regress a little bit anyways. I'm not saying he'll regress to anything close to – not being a top 10 player, but, you know, you can't expect him to perform his career season every single year. Yeah, and look, um, heading into that uh, MVP uh, season he had, or as a candidate like, his numbers, uh, at least offensively, were on the rise every single season. His offensive numbers, scoring input, that is, output was spiking every season. And then, of course, Jaja happened, and everything kind of derailed from there. Um but on the flip, though, uh, when I look at what the Spurs received in return, DeMar DeRozan and uh, Jakob Pertl, uh that conditional first-round pick, there's a part of me thinks like, that maybe they could have gotten a little bit more, but I think the Spurs were ready to move on. I think everybody on, on board was uh, ready to put this behind them. This was becoming a circus, Mike. You know this. This was be- I, I mean, prior to the trade going down, it was left and right, and he said, she said, and this and that. It was becoming laughable. There was a point where I'm thinking, okay, I'm tired. I'm tired of this. You know, this is embarrassing now. This is cringeworthy. Um, but just to give you an idea of just how long this has been going on, uh, before the, uh, you know, what hit the fan, uh, I was with the team on the rodeo road trip, and uh, one of my sources close to the, the Spurs told me um, uh, that the players were already starting to tune him out. That the players were already starting to take a who cares attitude. And the collective thought was, this was all Kawhi. This was all on him. And then lo and behold, as of right now, until the full, full story comes out, it seemingly that is the case. It seems to be that the players were tuning him out. We heard about that confrontational meeting we supposedly that Parker and Monty Ginobili led, and that's what uh, tuned, uh, turned off Kawhi more so. Um, we, we know players are getting more minutes. But Kyle Anderson got uh, more minutes, and it helped him statistically across the board and then netted him a great deal with Memphis. So this was a situation. It was just a bad seed. It was shocking to me, Mike, because I've been covering the team since 2004 from press row, and I didn't know how to handle this. I wasn't used to that. A lot of the press row guys were... What do we do? We don't know what to do. How, 
how do we go from reporting nothing but roses and rainbows season in, season out about a team that just strives for excellence to this? So it was a shock to the system. That's the best way to describe the feeling in San Antonio within the organization on the roster. It was just a shock to the system. Spurs fans, organization, brass, just not used to this. You know, you talked about how you thought the Spurs could have got a little bit more from Toronto. And I think that's a good point as far as if you look at the kind of margins on the end of the deal, Toronto won all mm-hmm. of those. So they give up Jacob yeah. Pirtle, who's maybe the fifth most talented player. The protections on the pick are pretty light, and they're even getting $5 million back from the Spurs. They won all those things on the margin, and I think that's largely just a result of bargaining power. And like you said, the San Antonio Spurs just wanted this to be over. I mean, they they just didn't want to deal with this anymore, and it kind of got to the point when they finally saw a deal that was at least sort of acceptable to them. They thought, this is something we need to pull the trigger on to kind of end the bleeding now and kind of end the situation as quickly as possible, I think. Yeah, um now, on, on the other, uh, this, uh, on the Spurs side, and Gerard DeRozan and, and Pirtle, you know, as I mentioned before, I think DeRozan will definitely help the Spurs offensively. They desperately needed that last season. Uh, without Kawhi Leonard, you know, it was, like I mentioned, LMA or bust. You wouldn't really get a lot of a consistency out of DeJounte Murray or Bertans or Patty Mills or Tony Parker or Mono Genova. When Mauro Ginobili is your second-best player, arguably, last season, <laughs> that tells you a lot. <laughs> right there. Um, but one of the bigger stings in all this is is losing Danny Green. I think a loss in all this, uh, Spurs fans, I'm saying right now, they're still irate over Kawhi Leonard. It is just still palpable. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to be love, I'm gonna love going to that first game in San Antonio, Toronto versus Spurs, if... Kawhi plays. You don't know about that, but if he does, I think it's going to be very interesting, but Dan- losing Danny Green stung the most in my opinion. Say what you will about his offensive numbers and how they've been on the decline. His defense was just so superb, and uh, you know, the Spurs took a one-two punch hit on the defensive end, losing Kawhi Leonard and losing Danny Green. Yeah, the Spurs survived defensively last year without Kawhi Leonard, they were top one, two, three defensively last year. And I think that had to do a lot with Danny Green's perimeter defense. Kyle Anderson, they lost him as well. And, but just losing Green is going to sting. And I think the Spurs will feel that next season. And I think that is a huge pickup or a trade asset the Toronto Raptors got in return. Yeah. Um, that's a good point about Danny Green. I think it was interesting. It almost seemed like Toronto, or not Toronto, I'm sorry, San Antonio kind of wanted to move on from Danny Green. It seemed like he was in kind of, they were upset that he picked up the contract extension. Why do you think that is? Uh, Simply put, just uh, uh, cap flexibility, and I think Popovich kind of, he didn't say directly, but I think he indirectly telegraphed where this team wanted to go uh, when his, this was his first media public appearance since the season ended. When the season ended, the Spurs did not have an end-of-season media session. They canceled it. That should tell you just how horrific last season was. Obviously, his uh, wife passed away, and then there was the Kawhi drama. But once the trade was over, you know, that was the first time speaking. And in that talk, he mentioned a lot of the young guys. He mentioned Lonnie Walker. He mentioned... 
Derek White. He uh, he mentioned DeJounte Murray. He mentioned Davis Bertans. And I think the Spurs are realizing that maybe their ways are a little antiquated. Maybe it's time to let and usher in the new wave of uh, silver and black players. Danny Green, he's a great player. It's kind of hard for me to talk about him because I've got to know him personally. I've hung out uh, with his family and himself. and But I think his game wasn't going to be adaptable to where the Spurs were going to be going. And look, the Spurs are penny pinchers, and they have to be. They're in a small market. So if they can get the same or similar production out of a cheaper player, they will do that. And I think they can probably they think they think that they can probably get that out of Marco Bellinelli, who they just signed uh, as far as on the offensive end, not necessarily defensive end. But they think they can get that from uh, Rudy Gay. They think it's going to be like almost defense by committee now. Uh, they picked up Dante Cunningham. Uh, so the list goes on and on. I'll, I'm hoping that the uh, Spurs, oh, oop, uh, I hope the Spurs um, to address a little bit more perimeter defense. Uh, but hey, I mean, Dejounte Murray is no slouch. He was game uh, second uh, All NBA Defensive Team last year. But I think they need a little bit more help other than that because Bellinelli, Patty Mills, if Milo Ginobili comes back, uh, they don't scream uh, perimeter defense. Yeah, do you worry that perhaps Pop, I mean, he surprised everybody last year. I think at least I was shocked that they were able to have such a competent defense without Kawhi Leonard. You lose one of the best perimeter defenders, not only this season, but I mean in the past decade. And your defense yeah. barely loses a step. Do you think that, are you worried that they're kind of going perhaps to the point of no return where if you get too many, he can't? Pop can't kind of scheme to save everyone. No, no, I, I think just I, I you know you're gonna hear you hear a lot of this. Is it the Spurs system that makes the players great, or is it the players themselves? Well, I think the Spurs defensively, uh, their defensive system it just fits almost any player. Look, in in Marco Bellinelli's first stint with the Spurs, he wasn't making all defensive NBA teams, but he did improve. <laughs> Excuse me. Obviously, you know, there's still DeJounte Murray, uh, who's an underrated defender. But uh, Rudy Gay is still on the team. Um, and I think they're going to get the, uh, the brilliant uh, Dante. Who knows what the uh, rookie Lonnie Walker can bring in if the Spurs Popovich will let his uh, rookie short leash a little longer. Uh, the kid can play some defense. So I think this is a situation where the Spurs need to look at, as I mentioned, that. Interior, I think they'll be fine. Lamarcus Aldridge, um, I, I, I think I read a little bit on uh, Proto. It looks like he can play some defense from what I read. I'm obviously correct me on that. And so I think interior, they'll be fine. It's just on the perimeter, I think they need a little bit of help because when you're going to entrust a DeJounte Murray, a third year guard, no, no slouch, at least not of yet, but you know, he can't handle by himself the likes of a James Harden, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. That's where Danny Green was coming. Danny Green would check all those guys. So it's going to be interesting territory this Spurs are entering this coming season defensively. When you mentioned Pirtle, I think he's an excellent defender. He, His advanced statistics 
around the rim and his defense around the rim actually rivaled that of you know the top players in the league with Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert. Obviously, I don't think that he's on that level of a defender, but he's very good blocking shots. He's got quicker feet than you would think. He's not quite a switch guy where you would feel comfortable, but I think he can handle most threes in that regard and is actually pretty nimble on his feet and is always aware, always knows where he's going. Jakob Pertl, to me, oh, is the example of a guy that you absolutely want on your team, but he's not really changing the outcome of your team. He's someone who I think mm-hmm. projects to be a 10th to 20th best center in the league, and I think that's something that's a real valuable asset to have, even if it doesn't necessarily change the trajectory of your team. You know, I was reading uh, on uh, Jakob, and uh, lo and behold, I think he had, what, his first career triple-double against the Spurs? I mean, a double-double against the Spurs? Uh, in San Antonio back in October, and he got a, a double-digit point and double-digit rebound. Uh, so, uh, nice little uh, footnote there. But I also read, too, that he's uh, pretty good as far as uh, protecting the rim. I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, did he have like five blocks in the game uh, during uh, the season last year, or was that in his rookie season? No, that was last season he had that. that I was think, last I season? Don't want, I'm not 100% sure, but I would be pretty confident in it. The Spurs need that desperately because they cannot count on a guy like Pau Gasol to do that consistently. They can't count on, you know, Adavis Bertans, who technically is a big, but he's a stretch four big and, you know, not known for uh, playing in the paint. And then, of course, I think that's another reason why they brought in Dante Cunningham. So I think the Spurs will be okay um, next year. I think they'll probably still do some tinkering. Maybe look at the waiver wire. Uh, but I'm expecting this first team to just be really tinkering with the lineup as the season goes on. Because the way it's set right now, they can do a lot of different things interchangeable. And that's where DeMar DeRozan comes in. Um, now the Spurs have an inside threat, LMA, and an outside threat, DeMar DeRozan. I think he was posted with 52 points last year. Um, so that's awesome to hear. Uh, the thing is, though, I mean, I think uh, that reality shifts in. You know, his days of maybe being an all-star could be over because, you know, playing the West, there's some top-quality guys at his position. Right. He could have a better season. He was a starter for the East last year. Yeah. He could have a better season and theoretically not start for the or not yeah. even get in the game for the West next year, which is totally crazy when you talk about things. And it's also exactly. important to know that the Spurs were a 47-win team last year without Kawhi Leonard. So mm-hmm. you're basically adding DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl for Danny Green. So when you look at them, and yes, the West has gotten better as it seemingly does every year, but you can't underestimate the fact that they didn't have – that 47 wins wasn't with Kawhi Leonard. That was without Kawhi Leonard. And adding these two players right. is almost undoubtedly going to make them better next season. Yeah, are they going to challenge for the title? No. Are they going to make a deep postseason run? Nah. You know, will they be fighting for six, seven, eight? Oh, yeah. I think they'll, they'll be in that range right there. But, um, you know, again, I'm looking at the deal itself. You know, it was it made waves, obviously, across the NBA, especially in Toronto, you know, San Antonio. Uh, but one thing that's still kind of lingering with me, and it, it got me a little nervous, is the fact that DeMar really took the trade hard, really took it difficult. 
Uh, of course, there were reports, you know, of miscommunication regarding his uh, stay in Toronto. We heard the uh, Messiah apology during the pub, during the press conference. But I just hope that's not a thing that's going to linger with him as the season goes on, because it looks like he he still hasn't come to grips with it. Can you help me on this aspect of Demar? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I think that okay. Demar is someone who kind of just goes all in wherever he's at. And Toronto received that for the better half of last year. And he's someone that I would never question his readiness to play or anything like that. I think that his sadness of leaving Toronto is more just a result of him coming there as a 19-year-old. This being really the city he's only known as an adult. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. And I would expect at least by the time the season starts, perhaps it's a little weird for him at first. But overall, he's someone that I would never worry about being ready to play day in, day out. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, now, there is there is some good news as far as his acclimation to San Antonio. You know, he's going to rejoin Rudy Gay. Like they, they think they were like best buds when they played in Toronto. It's almost like a Toronto reunion in San Antonio. Bellinelli, Rudy Gay, uh, I'll see DeMar DeRozan, Pearl, even Matt Bonner, who's still the Spurs uh, uh, TV analyst is still down there. So, um, a little Toronto flavor, Canada flavor for uh, DeMar City gets Toronto homesick, if you will. But, no, I mean, I, I, I think, I think the deal was the best deal the Spurs can get. Um, you, you know, part of me kind of wanted them to sit on it a little longer just to see if maybe they could eat out a little bit more assets. But it was, Mike, it was just inching closer to Team USA mini camp in Vegas. Three seasons almost around the corner. Training camps almost around the corner. We're going to start entering that one and a half month doldrum of the off season, and then it's showtime. So the Spurs had to do something. And one thing I found very interesting, though, was during Masai Ujiri's uh, press conference, he kept on stressing how how rare it is that a top player is available and he had to jump on it. And I like that out of a GM. I wish uh, Buford was a little bit more like that and he tends to play it more close to the vest. But does any part of you kind of wonder, you know, we talked about the risk in this deal, but if you look at his history, we saw what he did in Denver, Carmelo. You don't see any shades of that here, do you? No, I I think that... Okay. I'm sorry, what? No, go ahead. I'm listening. Oh, okay. No, I, I don't worry about that too much. I think that it was a situation where the Raptors had to make a move. You know, you watch the same thing for four years, and you kind of just naturally get sick of it, as I think almost anyone would. And I think Toronto wasn't going to blow it up for the sake of blowing it up. But when they saw a path to legitimately either enter into contention or, you know what, if you don't enter into contention and Kawhi leaves after a year – then you go ahead and you rebuild it. And you were going to have to do that anyways, so you might as well at least get it started at least one season earlier with Kawhi rather than having DeMar here and having DeMar have to sit through a rebuild that you were going to go through anyways. And not to mention um, you know, shedding his uh, big contract. I mean, that, that must have been great uh, cap speed-wise for Toronto. Yeah, I think the, the way you can look at it is you can look at it as Toronto giving up a really great player. Another way you can look at it is – they gave up a guy who's not a positive contract. I mean, he might be worth – he's worth about what he's getting paid, in my opinion. I don't think he's gross overpay or underpay. 
So you're giving up an average contract and a player that you really like in Jacoperto, but you're getting back a guy who's on a value contract. So I think that if Kawhi walks, they'll be upset. And obviously he gave away DeMar DeRozan and that stinks. But I think that they at least will be better off knowing that they did gain at least some cap space and helped start this rebuild a little bit earlier. Yeah, and uh, how how do you feel? Do you think Masai and the team and the city is ready to sell Kawhi Leonard on Toronto? I'm a little bit more pessimistic about this than I think everybody else is. I think that his mind's Mm -hmm. kind of made up, but then at the same time, I think players switch their minds way more than we'd like to admit. So it will be interesting. I think that for Toronto, the biggest key is obviously just having success. And if they make the NBA Finals, it's going to be a lot harder to leave than if they get exited in the second round. Yeah, that is true. I mean, look, Kawhi already has an NBA title to his name. Uh, I'm pretty sure he would love to uh, etch another one on his uh, resume. And uh, Toronto, let's face it, too. You know, no knock against the East, but the easiest pathway to the NBA Finals is through the East. Oh, versus the gauntlet yeah. that is the, it, it, it is the West. So if Kawhi wants to fight tooth and nail in the West, you know, and have, I'm just making this up now, a 56-60 win season and still don't even come close to the finals versus sniffing 50, 55, maybe 60 wins, depending on what Boston and the Philly look like, um, you know, and an easier path. We're in about two enemies versus a whole slew of eight to nine teams, you know, it's a lot easier. And I, I think that has to be a big selling point uh, is the netting uh, titles a little easier. Not to mention, you know, LeBron James is no longer in the East. Uh, so that nemesis is gone. Um, you know, because them too, they were really big uh, on-court rivals. I mean, off the court, they were fine, but on-court, my goodness, just go on YouTube some of their battles. It's classic. Really. Kawhi Leonard can really bring it when it comes to uh, checking, uh, uh, you know, King James casting itself, but he made him work. So I think also an aspect of this too, uh, and again, I'm putting my Toronto hat on right now, is that I-, I call this an arms race between Philly, Boston, and Toronto when it came to uh, Kawhi Leonard. There were reports that Boston were interested in, Philly were interested in, obviously, Toronto came at the last minute. I think. The addition of Kawhi Leonard to Toronto really puts Boston and Philly on notice. Because, you know, look, Boston, I think they're going to be fine. They're adding Hayward and Irving next season. So they're going to be ahead. And then Philly's kind of like the unknown right now. As of right now, they're, they're kind of standing pat right now. They whiffed on LeBron James, or supposedly. You know, they didn't go all in for Kawhi Leonard, obviously. So they're almost standing pat-ish. They bring in Zyre Smith out of the draft. But, eh, you know, that's about it. Um... So I think it could come down to a one-two race with Boston and Toronto. And I think Kawhi could push the edge towards Toronto's favor. Yeah, I think the biggest loser of this whole trade was Philadelphia for the most part. You're talking about a team that kind of was in the sweepstakes for Kawhi. And I think adding Kawhi, I mean, when you talk about having a defensive front court of Embiid, Simmons, and Kawhi, I mean, wow. But instead it goes to the Toronto Raptors, and now you have – two legitimate teams that I think are better than you going into the season. So not only do you not get better, you have to deal with two opponents, which really weakens your ability to make the playoffs, obviously. Or not to make, I'm sorry, make the finals, obviously. 
having two teams instead of one to deal with and you don't get better. I think that, yeah, that's a good point that you made about Kawhi being in the East and it all comes down to how much does he value winning, how much does he value living in Los Angeles. I, he'll have to speak more than six words for us to actually know the answer to that. So yeah, <laughs> if winning is really important to him, yeah, you can build a super team in L.A., but if you stay in Toronto, that path is going to stay easy for the formidable future with the exception of Boston and Philadelphia. I don't think that there's anyone that really scares me too much in the East. No, I mean, I mean, just off the top of my head, I maybe Milwaukee? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, depending on what they do. Indiana, perhaps, but that's a stretch. I mean, yeah. again, nothing like the West, where it's just a slaughterhouse of teams who are talented that won't make the playoffs. Yeah, and look, you know, switching back to DeMar and joining San Antonio, you know, I mentioned about the ties uh, to Toronto. You know, there's also, you, you know, the fact that he is a big Popovich fan. He is a huge fan. There's a video out there. Uh, DeMar just praising Popovich, saying he loves Popovich. And, you know, you know whatever he says is, is awesome. You know, he even said pop for president. So there's that. Um, Rudy Gay, not only did uh, they play together, uh, him and DeMar in Toronto, they also were teammates in Team USA. They're teammates right now at the Drew League. So they're really familiar with one another. I think his acclimation will be fine. My only concern is that he doesn't get frustrated because learning the first system was rough. Look what happened to LaMarcus Aldridge. He wanted out because he couldn't get it. He wanted out because he felt that he wasn't fitting in. And he told the Spurs, Popovich, I want to be traded. Luckily, uh, the Spurs and Popovich got the better of his ear and calmed him down a bit. So I think the patience is going to be in order for DeMar getting used to a new system. That's a good point. And I I hope that at least Kawhi, if he does have those same frustrations integrating himself into a new system, we don't see a shutdown similar into the matter that you did last year. Yeah, that is true. And I, it, it's like that uh, that ex-girlfriend. I'm like, well, she's your problem now. 